They said it was going to be really, really hard. But what did they know? I had been the oldest of eight kids for some time, and by age 17, I figured I had pretty much already been a parent. I had gone through those, those arguments at the dinner table as my siblings just looked at those disgusting little green balls on, the, on their plate and just wigged out. I had been through those, those ear-shattering wails on those long car drives that threatened the integrity of the windshield glass. You know what I'm talking about? I had been through the fights, I had cleaned up the messes, I had uncovered the lies, and yes, I had even changed a few diapers. And yet nothing, nothing could have prepared me for that sense of horror and panic and failure that would come with parenthood. To put it simply, parenting is hard. It is hard. And if you've been there, you know that. And if you're there now, let me just say, I'm sorry. (laughs) We will pray for you. It is not an easy task. More than once, I have leaned up against the kitchen sink, trying desperately to just accomplish one simple task while the battle of Little Bighorn was taking place in the next room, leaving me to wonder if I was going to actually suffer the same fate as General Custer. Could this be my last stand? Maybe you've been there right with me and you've said, I just can't do this. I don't have what it takes. And if that's you, let me just say you're in good company. If, if you're a parent with children currently in the home, this message is for you. If you're thinking about having children someday, this message is for you. And if you don't have kids, you just, you just know parents out there, well, this message is for you to take and encourage them. As important as, and, and as, as difficult of a job as parenting children is, you might think it strange that the Bible really doesn't devote all that much time to talking about it. Wouldn't you just love it if there were like 250 pages of detailed instruction in here on God's way to parent written by God himself? That would be just a wonderful, incredible thing. But if that's what we're hoping to find in the Bible, we're going to be sadly disappointed. In fact, even as we look at the book of Ephesians, 155 verses, there's one. There's one verse about 20 words, and our translation is 20 words, and it doesn't even mention mothers. What a contrast to the myriad of parenting uh, books out there. I remember when our first child uh, was on her way, the tremendous pressure there was to read all of these books that were out there, Baby this, baby that, how to be a good mom, how to be a good dad, books on sleeping schedules, books on discipline, books on healthy eating. I didn't read any of them, but I knew they exist. 
And then there was the plethora of just all the unsolicited advice that came crashing in with this tsunami-like force. I didn't ask anyone for their five essentials on parenting the right way, and yet it seemed everywhere I turned, I was just fire-hosed with all of this insider knowledge. But here in the Bible... The ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged, there's very little specific instruction for this all-important, extremely difficult task that so many people have as a part of their human existence. I think that leaves us completely justified in asking, what's the deal? What is the deal? Has God left parents hanging? He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin so that there could be peace between us and God. I just want a little peace in my home. It's true, the Bible doesn't give us ten steps to be a better parent, but you know, it actually, it actually does something better. It really does. You see, all of those self-help books out there, they're actually completely inadequate in making us the parents that we really need to be because the main problem that we have, well, it can't be solved by human effort. I'd actually like to propose this morning that the Bible is the best parenting book ever written because the Bible contains the only effective answer to our greatest problem. And that's the same problem. It's the same problem which is responsible for making parenting so hard to begin with. Think about it. Parenting, <laughs> parenting would be a cinch if it weren't for those rebellious hearts of those little children, right? Parenting would be a cinch. Parenting would be so much easier if the parents themselves weren't affected by their own fallen hearts that are leading them to be selfish and to be insecure and angry and, and filled with resentment. What a difference it would make if every parent was perfectly loving and perfectly just. What about this? Perfectly patient, right? I could use a little bit more of that. What a difference it would make if every child was respectful and obedient and self-controlled. It would be incredible. But that's not the world that we live in. We live in a world that's been impacted by sin. And unless that sin is dealt with, there's no 12-step program, there are no strategies, there are no seminars, there are no classes that are going to produce the results that we need. Parents don't need more books. Parents need the gospel. They need the gospel. Could it be that the gospel is more than just the key to our salvation, but also actually holds the answers to issues that we face in life? Could it be that the gospel itself is our best parenting instruction mat, mat manual? Could it be that what Christ has done for us, not only in setting for us an example to follow, but also the fundamental change he has made in our hearts, that, that, that change that drastically impacts the way that we relate to God and we relate to each other, that that makes all the difference for our parenting as well. 
This morning we're going to take a look at what the gospel has to say about parenting. Our passage this morning reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But before we can even begin taking apart the content of this verse, we actually need to remember the context of this verse in the book of Ephesians. It'd be so easy to just take this verse and just rip it off the page and come up with all these different points on good parenting here, but we can't do that. At least we shouldn't do that. That'd be a huge mistake. And yet that's often the way that we approach parenting. You know, in, in, in so many other areas of the Christian life, we look to the cross, we confess our sins, we confess our inability to do what God has called us to do. We receive the grace and forgiveness of God for all sorts of other things. And yet for some reason, when it comes to parenting, often we practice this kind of works righteousness thing. For some reason, when we become moms and dads, we have this sort of hopeful ex- expectation that, okay, I'm not sure I'm ready for this, but I got this. I have to, because here it is right there in front of me. But if what we've read in the first few chapters of Ephesians is that we dealt with so many weeks ago, if what we have read there is true, then we don't got this. We don't got this. We need to remember that lost place that we came from. We need to remember how lost we were, that there's not a single element of our existence that was left untouched by sin. Why should we think that we have it, we're prepared to handle this thing called parenthood? We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, right? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience. We're carrying out the desires of our fallen bodies and our fallen minds. We were a mess. We were an absolute mess. But thanks be to God who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the message of Ephesians, right? We can't divorce verse 4 from that fundamental truth. That's what Ephesians is built on. And we go through the first three chapters and we're just showered in God's grace and the realization we got nothing in ourselves and we rely completely on this. And then Paul launches us into what does the Christian life now look like. When I've looked at verse 4 in the past, I've just said, okay, well, I'm not supposed to exasperate my children. Okay, I got that. No, no, no. We need to look at that in the light of the gospel. Absolutely crucial to Christian, good Christian parenting, first and foremost, is that gospel of Jesus. Can't lift it out of Ephesians. Can't divorce what we do as parents from the gospel. It is the gospel that makes us children of light, and it's the gospel that is going to enable us to parent in the light as well. So what does the gospel tell us about parenting? The first thing I think it tells us is we don't have what it takes. 
We don't have what it takes. When we become parents, we don't automatically somehow have all that patience, all that knowledge that it's going to take. In fact, the gospel tells us that our fallen hearts, they're going to do everything that they can to lie to us, to trip us up, to lead us right over that cliff, right? Step one to good parenting. Parenting as people who have been rescued from ourselves, brought out of darkness into the light of Christ, that's recognizing our own neediness. What happens if we don't bring this crucial truth to the way we parent? What happens if we don't understand and constantly remind ourselves we're in need of God's grace, we're relying on God's grace. Well, it may look something like this. You're driving home from a really long day of work. You've had some complicated situations back at the office, and you are just trying to recalibrate your mind. So you're listening to music, you're listening to talk radio, whatever, and you realize you're a little thirsty because you had a lot of conversations today. So you reach in the back seat for a bottle of water, and you take a swig, and you almost spit it out all over the car and trying to hold it up into your field of vision so that you don't crash. You, you look inside and you realize there's something in this bottle of water and you come to see it's two already chewed pieces of gum. You get home, you pull into the driveway, and you go to get your stuff out of the back seat, and your stuff is falling out. It's just, there's, there's trash, there's, there's candy wrappers, there's half-eaten food, there's toys, there's uncapped markers, and you're just, what is going on? Okay, I'm going inside. I'm going in there. I have to. Once you walk into the house, you're off to the races. Homework, dinner. Dishes, sweep the floor, pick up the living room, screaming baby, bottle, diaper, jammies. No, we can't stay up for a family movie night. We got school tomorrow. We got to get to bed. Get ready. Go get dressed and brush your teeth. Okay. We're going to take out the contact lenses. I'll go to put on some comfortable clothing. Check back in. Peek into your child's room and you go, Did you hear anything that I said? The closet seemingly just exploded all over the room. Now there's stuffed animals, there's clothes, there's toys. There's a new craft project that has been begun. There's Elmer's glue dripping down onto the carpet and is now permanently being pressed into the floor by an impromptu dance break. What is going on in here? What are you doing? Let's go. Get dressed. Brush brush your teeth. And after three or four rounds of this, you finally settle into reading time. Only then you discover that your child has this amazing ability to multitask. You realize deep into the happenings on the banks of Plum Creek, you realize the the craft project has actually been resumed. And you say, that's it. We are done here. No, Dad, please give me another chance. You've had your chance. We're done. Good night. And you walk away. It's like, it's like our children have a way at burning away at the patient's fuse, you know? And sometimes it, it's a slow burn, but other times it goes quick. And man, when that spark reaches the end of that fuse, look out! All of a sudden, we transform into judge, jury, and executioner, making sure that justice is swift and without mercy. 
when we forget how much we need God's grace, we often neglect to pass it on to our children, don't we? Parents shout, some swear, some grab, some drag, some hit, some cut their children to pieces with their cruel words. And we tell ourselves that we're justified because our children, after all, are supposed to obey us in the Lord for this is right. But there's nothing right when we respond to our children without the grace of God. There's nothing right. May I be so bold as to say that when parents discipline their children in anger and rage, they're not parenting. They're not behaving as children of light. They're committing acts of violence against human beings that have been made in God's image. Gospel parenting, good, godly Christian parenting in the light is not about striking fear in the hearts of our children. It's about leading sinful hearts to recognize their need for God and then showering them in his grace. As people who begin to recognize our own desperate need for God's grace, we look at our children misbehaving, being cruel to others, refusing to eat their dinner, telling us lies, and defying authority. We look at them and we're led to see fellow sinners here who are also in need of the grace that we ourselves have received We don't ignore the wrong that's being done, not at all. We call it out, we confront it, but where we go from there is impacted by the light of the gospel. The end game is, it's no longer about behavior modification. It's about an encounter with the living God who desires to transform hearts with the saving power of Jesus. Parents, as you come to the end of your rope... Your patience has just run out. Remember, remember that your children, just like you, are in need of God's grace. Desperately need it. The gospel tells us we don't have what it takes. We never did. But his grace is sufficient for us, right? His power is made perfect in our weakness. And if his grace is big enough for us, big enough to cover all of the monumental mistakes that we have made, that I have made, then maybe, just maybe, God's grace is big enough for our kids as well. We need to be quick to confess our need for God's grace, eager to share it with our children. The gospel tells us we don't have what it takes. The gospel also tells us Christ is king. We are not. We're not the kings here. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What does it mean to provoke your children to anger? In Jewish and Roman cultures, the fathers were seen as the kings of their homes, the rulers. One commentator points out that everyone in that society, they would have expected Paul to say, children, children, don't provoke your fathers to anger. It's not going to go well for you. Everyone would have expected Paul to say that. 
They would not have expected Paul to say, fathers, don't provoke your children. That's, that's not the way it should be. That's not the way it was in that society. Let's think about fathers as kings for a moment. If I'm king, I rule because I was born king, right? I didn't earn it. I wasn't appointed by some type of popular vote. I just have it. It's my natural right. I was meant for this role. It's in my blood. And what we also understand, that under my rule, there are subjects. And they have a natural responsibility to respect me, to honor me, to obey me. That's the way it is. That's the way uh, that, uh, that, that it works. And if they obey me, well, then everything is fine. But if they don't, depending on what mood I'm in here, things could go really bad for them, or they could go even worse for them. Isn't that the way we sometimes see our role as parents? We're the kings. We're the rulers of our children. They are the subjects. We don't earn this role. It's, it's just ours. It's not ours because our children voted for us. It's just the way it is. The moment we become parents, we assume that role. And, and you know, there's something natural about it, right? Just like we talked about last week, how there's something natural and logical about children obeying their parents. And then for those of us who are Christians, we have the added backup from Scripture that we just read in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, this totally makes sense here. Now, like all good kings, there are some that are good and there are some that are not so good. There are gentle kings and there are harsh kings. There are kings that will share their treasures with all their people. And then there are kings that will just say, off with their heads, be done with them. There are different approaches to parenting as well, right? There are stern fathers and there are gentle fathers. There are the ones who are distant and aloof, and there are the ones who are just up in their children's business. They're constantly there. There are the disinterested ones, and there are those who give everything to their children. There are those who live for their own glory, and there are those who just live to prop up their children and want everyone to see how wonderful and how glorious their children are. There are those who rule with an iron fist, and there are those who let their children walk all over them. The pendulum of parenting, it just swings back and forth in every which way. There are all kinds of kings and queens when it comes to parenting but as people who have been brought out of darkness and into god's marvelous light we have to ask that question how does god want me to parent what does he want me to do we've undergone a fundamental change haven't we paul tells us that we died to self and now live to god he talked about that in romans 6 we died to that old life of rebellion against god a life that was lived as if i was king perhaps as if you were queen that's the way we were but something has changed now Life was all about me. It was all about what I want, when I want, and as much of it as I want. I was king, but not anymore. Christ is king now. It's not that he wasn't king of kings and lord of lords all along, but not in my life. I didn't recognize him as king. 
I was living my life of rebellion, going my own way, but now that's changed. For parents, this news means that we are no longer the kings and queens of our home. Some of you remember back when Jackie Gleason put on that bus driver's uniform, that old honeymooners show, and he, uh, he was the overweight, the immature, the dim-witted bus driver who lorded over his wife, Alice. And what was his favorite line? I'm the king. I'm the king, Alice. I'm the king of my castle, and I rule this castle. What a vast kingdom he ruled over, right? (laughs) His wife and his one-bedroom apartment in the Bronx. But that's the way we approach our children sometimes. We're the king. There are subjects who we can rule any way that we please. Paul Tripp, He's a pastor, Christian author, conference speaker. He wrote a fantastic book. I think it's simply called Parenting. We actually did a a class on it just recently. And he describes this whole phenomenon as ownership parenting. We parent like we're we're owners of our children. And, And so it doesn't matter if we provoke our children to anger. They're our children. We can do with them as we please. Now, Ephesians 6.4, it specifically addresses fathers here, but I really think the message here is for both fathers and mothers. The call is for parents to stop provoking their children to anger. The New International Version says, don't exasperate your children. What does that look like? What does it look like to provoke your child to anger? How do you parents deal with children who are disobedient, who are unruly, who are defiant and disrespectful and sometimes destructive. How do, we, how, do we, how do we deal with this? They're exasperating us. How am I not, not to exasperate them when I come to confront them? One pastor wrote that to provoke, to anger, suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. Maybe you've heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was the, wealth pro, uh, the Welsh Protestant minister, and he at one point wrote seven principles to help parents from falling into this trap, from provoking their children to anger. First, he noted, we are incapable of exercising true discipline unless we are first able to exercise self-control and discipline our own tempers. Every, every parent knows what it's like to be pushed to the edge, but letting ourselves go over the falls and fly flailing out of control, that just makes things worse, doesn't it? Have you had that experience where you did something wrong at the office and your boss got in your face, his face beat red, he's screaming at you, pointing his finger into your chest? That just made you... Just he, he was so endearing to you at that moment, right? And you just thought, man, this is a wise man who cares for me. I just want to please him, and I just want to—I really want to shape up here. We don't do that, right? Not at all. We're thinking this guy is the biggest jerk ever, and man, I got to polish up my resume. I got to get out of here right now. It's the same with with children and their parents. As their parents spin out of control and don't have self-control in how they discipline, the, the, the children are exasperated. They're provoked to anger. Parents who provoke, first of all, they're out of control. 
Secondly, parents who provoke, they're inconsistent. Dr. Lloyd-Jones points out, there's nothing more annoying to a child than the kind of parent whose moods and actions you can never predict, who is changeable, whose condition is always uncertain. Parents who parent in the light, they don't They don't discipline by how they feel in the moment. They do so based on what is right and what is true, just like God our Father disciplines us, right? They're out of control. They're inconsistent. Three parents who provoke, they're unreasonable. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that these are the parents who just won't listen to reason. They won't listen to the circumstances that may be behind your child's behavior. But, but, the, but, but the car broke down, Mom. I don't care. You're 20 minutes late. Unreasonable. Parents who provoke, they're also selfish. Lloyd-Jones writes, My charge applies to persons who do not recognize that the child has his own life and personality and who seem to think that children are entirely there, entirely for their pleasure or for their use. Have you seen those, children, uh, those parents who are ordering their children around? Will they sit back? Having their children wait on their every wish, wait on them hand and foot? Children whom God has given us are not slaves. Now, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's actually something very right with entrusting your children and giving them the responsibility of chores around the house. But there's a big difference between contributing to the family well-being and livelihood and enslavement to the parents' every whim. These are things that provoke our children to anger. Five, parents who provoke, they punish without explanation. There are people who believe in discipline for its own sake, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. That's not biblical teaching, but the philosophy of the sergeant major. It must never be thought of in terms of pressing a button and expecting an inevitable result to follow. Discipline is a parent's tool, but it's meant to be used with a purpose, The goal goes way beyond mere punishment. We're to be leading our children to understand what is going on inside of their hearts, helping them to see whether or not it's in line with what God wants for their lives. Explanation and enforcement, they have to go hand in hand. Six, we're almost done with these. Parents who provoke, they're too severe. The disciplinary measures they choose aren't fitting of the crime that was committed. And the thought is that if we punish our children harsh enough, they're never going to do that again, right? They learned their lesson. But instead, we again just teach our children to resent us. We need to remember how patient and gracious God has been to us, his children. And finally, parents who provoke, they fail to recognize their child's growth. So you'll hear responses like, I'm not a kid anymore. Don't treat me like a child. As our children grow and physically mature, and hopefully mentally and spiritually and emotionally mature as well, it's important that we speak to them and discipline them in appropriate ways. Otherwise, we're provoking them to anger. Parents are not to provoke their children.
to anger. This isn't the way that we learn Christ. If we're now in Christ, we're no longer kings and queens to rule and squash rebellions. That's not what parenting is about. God is the king. And not only is he my king, but these children, my children, are his children. They're his subjects. We're just the caretakers. We're just his representatives. We're his ambassadors to care for these kids that he's entrusted us with. Our job is to represent the king, to care for these children in a way that he would care for them. And so when they see our faces, there should be something in our expressions that represents our Heavenly Father. When they hear our words... Those words should be laced with the truth and the kindness and goodness of our good, good Father, leading them to confess their sin, to trust in Jesus, and enjoy His grace. The Gospel, it tells us we don't have what it takes. We're both recipients and givers of God's grace. It tells us that Christ is the King. We're not the King. We're here to bring up His children rather than to provoke them to anger through our oppressive rule. And finally, and we'll land this, the gospel tells us we're to be aiming toward transformed hearts. That's what we're looking for here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, you and I have been entrusted with a sacred calling to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And because we know Christ, we know that discipline and instruction, that's not talking about some long list of do's and don'ts, so that we can somehow, if we can, if we can start ticking off the things on this list, well, then we can measure up and get God's approval. We know that the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that is, it's not about that. The discipline and instruction of the Lord is about teaching our children who Jesus is that they might know their Savior, that they might know what He's done for them, that they might know that there's actually fallenness in them and they need this Savior. That's what we do when we point out what these kids are doing wrong. But we're pointing them to Jesus. And they need to learn how they should live in response to what Jesus has done for them as well. It's nothing more than what the disciples were tasked with. Remember those fishers of men? Jesus called them to do something, right? Jesus called all of us to do something. Notice the similarities here between the call Jesus gives in Matthew 28:19. He writes, "Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And he says, "Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you." Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you you see what we've been called to as parents? it's, It's the same thing as what we've been called to as disciples of Christ, to go make disciples, but on a much more personal, intimate level. Good, godly, gospel parenting in the light is about, well, it's not about managing behavior. It's about making disciples. It's about disciples who have already found their one and only true hope in Jesus. And it's about them teaching their children of their own need for a Savior. Calling them out, correcting that that wrong behavior, but 
then pointing them to the loving arms of Jesus. Parents, before we look anywhere else, we need to look at the gospel as our number one guide for how to do, how to fulfill this great calling of ours. The gospel tells us we don't have what it takes. We're the recipients, we're the givers of God's grace. It tells us Christ is the king, we are not. We're not the owners to boss our children around, to have them do what we, whatever we please. We're God's ambassadors whom he has entrusted with a sacred task. And that task is aimed at transformed hearts. We're not here to just manage that behavior and create good citizens, although that's a byproduct. We're here to expose the fallenness of those little hearts and introduce them to their Savior. Before it is anything else, parenting is all about raising up disciples of Jesus Christ. It begins with the gospel. It's informed by the gospel. It's fueled by the gospel. And if it's done properly, and if the Spirit calls them, it ends with our children embracing and living in light of the gospel. What an incredibly high calling What an incredibly difficult task. But his grace is sufficient, for his power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your grace in our lives. If we stop to think about it, Lord, we are completely overwhelmed because it is just a fountain that is overflowing with this grace. And it pours and washes all over us, covering each and every one of our sin. Lord, as we fail in our lives, as we fail at parenting, Lord, we look to you and we recognize that even in that failure that may have some serious repercussions, Lord, we're covered in your grace. Thank you for that, Lord, because we have all failed at this, those of us who are parents. Those of us who will someday, we will fail. We need your grace, Lord. Help us to receive it well, to enjoy it, and to pass it on to others. Help us, Lord, to be gospel-minded people, people who say no to that old life, to put off that old self and put on the new self, which recognizes the King of kings and Lord of lords is Jesus Christ, and we are servants of yours, Lord. And these are your kids. Help us to parent well with the aim of speaking to their hearts, of pointing them to the good news of Jesus Christ, that they might become disciples as well. Disciples who lovingly parent their children. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful thing that you have created, the family in this role that we have been given. Lord, thank you for entrusting us with that responsibility. Give us the grace to carry on for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.